Hello and welcome to another episode of the Menswear Style Podcast with me, your host, Pete Brooker. And on this week's episode, we're going to be speaking to the founders of the wine clubs, some of the founders and some of the sommeliers associated with those clubs. Clubs such as Honest Grapes, we're going to be speaking to Nathan Hill. He's going to be telling me about how to stay sober during wine tastings. We visited 14 of our producers um, within just over two days, two and a bit days, and tasted many hundreds of wines. And yes, you've got to stay sober right throughout that. So I'd be tasting uh, 15, 20 wines an hour, making notes on all of them, um, and then going to the next vineyard. Yes, wine. Don't we just love wine? Don't we just love wine, Dr. Fraser Crane? Let's celebrate life with a bottle of Chateau Sartre 75. All in good time, Doctor. We're also going to be talking to Riau Diaz. He's a sommelier for WSET, which is the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. He also does the wine presentation for the Channel 4 program Sunday Brunch. I'm going to be talking to him about what you can achieve when you take on a course at WSET. I think, as I said to you, it's a very simple and direct way to go into wine because this is not wine poetry. It's not like, you know, like blah, blah, blah about wine. You go straight to a systematic approach to learn and also to taste. That interview coming up shortly. How's that 75 working out for you, Dr. Fraser Crane? I thought it was dark, dusky and supple. Excellent choice, Doctor. We also spoke to Christian Rez. Christian co-founded the Wine Bank, which is a very exclusive wine club sweeping the German nation. He also runs the Balfazar Res wine estate, so stay tuned for that at the end. Uh, stay tuned also for an interruption by my girlfriend's cat who was very keen to get on the podcast. Awesome. Uh, sorry, I've got the cat that's moaning. Philly, Philly, get out of here. Yeah, the cat's just moaning at me. <laughs> I've, I shut the door thinking I locked him out and he's, I must have shut him in. Philly, keep, keep it down, keep it down. All that to come before we get into the podcast, so a little bit of housekeeping. So if you're not there already, head over to the website. It's www.menswearstyle.co.uk. There you'll find all the features, interviews, reviews, competitions, like winning a £200 Swole Panda voucher. So head over there and also like us on the social at Menswear Style. Lastly, make sure you subscribe on iTunes punch in menswear style in the app store download the app and i do believe that is it we can now get into the podcast and we can talk about wine here is nathan hill one of the founders of honest grapes i would like to welcome nathan hill who's the chairman of honest grapes that's honestgrapes.co.uk if you want to go to the website how are you doing today nathan yeah, great, thank you. Busy getting up to Christmas now. Yes, thanks for taking the time out. I appreciate this is a busy time of year for you. Um, Nathan, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, please, and also about Honest Grapes? Yeah, so first of all, myself, I actually don't come from the wine trade. Um, I'm a physicist by training, um, and uh, I wrote the business plan that put Tim Peake on the International Space Station. I'm quite involved in, oh, well. in uh, space technology. Uh, but I've been a keen wine collector for many years, I felt that as a I felt that as a wine somebody interested in wine that I was being really badly served by the UK wine trade, um, and so I set up Honest Grapes as a wine club together with my brilliant and charming business partner Tom Harrow uh, to do something better for uh, people who enjoy wine in the UK. Excellent. And so the website honestgrapes.co.uk. I had a look at it earlier today, um, and it's 
it's bulky. It's so comprehensive. I mean, um, if people haven't been there already, I recommend that you go over. We'll put all the details in the show notes. But you can, you can pick out a wine, whether you like it zesty or spicy. Uh, how long did it take to actually get the website together? Oh, it's been, it's been a labor of love. We're a couple of years in and we're still doing things to it. So basically, um, what we are is a wine club. You don't have to be a member to buy from us, so feel free to browse and buy stuff. Uh, but we're a wine club where members get involved in selecting the wines that go on our wine list, and that's unique. Uh, the dirty secret of the wine trade is most people who are in the wine trade are enthusiasts, buy loads of wine, and then have to flog it to you because they've got loads of stock. Mm. We do it the other way around. We're more like an Etsy for wine where, or an eBay where growers ask us to list lovely artisan wines Tom and I tend to know the growers personally. We do a shortlisting of them. And instead of bewildering you with thousands of wine to choose, wines to choose, we have a list of about 200 or so wines where they've all been curated. And it's more like a great restaurant list. The third step of our selection is we invite our club members um, to my apartment every two or three months to taste the shortlist. And then our members decide which wines finally go on the on the mem- on the wine list. Oh right, okay. So what happens to the wine that doesn't make the cut? Uh, it doesn't get listed. So the wine the wines that get listed, um, we then bring in on a just in time basis. Generally, our club members will get together and say, right, we'd like to bring the first import of these from a grower. These are mostly quite small family growers all around the world, and we bring in our first import. And from then on, we bring them in on a small um, batch basis so that we can offer them to people just browsing and buying from the site. But we also crowdsource shipments. And we do, we're doing quite a lot of that, particularly since the euro has swung against the pound. We're trying to keep costs down by providing our members with those wines brought in in small small batches of usually 300 bottles at a time. Right. And. Um- Nathan, I'm curious, what's a typical day like for you? Uh, do you have like a, a self-imposed curfew where you're not allowed to drink wine before 12 o'clock or before well, lunch? Uh, being quite international in my business outlook, the sun never sets over the yard arm, so uh-huh. and never rises over it. So um, I, I, I can spend a day. And in fact, I was in Burgundy um, a fortnight ago with Tom looking at all of the marvellous, amazing Burgundy 2015 vintage we visited 14 of our producers um, within just over two days, two and a bit days, and tasted many hundreds of wines. And yes, you've got to stay sober right throughout that. So I'd be tasting uh, 15, 20 wines an hour, making notes on all of them, um, and then going to the next vineyard. And uh, that's, uh, you know, it's a tough job, but somebody has to take it for the team. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I remember um, I did a podcast on whiskey not too long ago, and I spoke to the brand ambassador, Colin Dunn. And I had a similar conversation with him. I said, what do you do in terms of fitness? I mean, you can't do your job, have about five or six tastings and then go and hit the gym, for example. And do you do you ever have to go, well, look, I can't have, looking down the barrel of my day, I can't start at 9 a.m. and finish at 9 p.m. at night. You know, I'll be, I'll be absolutely wrecked. So it must be a constant challenge for you, is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely an evening business as well. We do lots of tastings, both for private individuals uh, and companies um and so late nights and evening tasting is an important part of it um i i'm an early riser i get up at four or five in the morning i hit the gym first thing in the morning uh, and, and uh um quite seriously in terms of responsible drinking i try and give myself two or three days off a week in terms of not having any alcohol 
So that, 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 those are my juice days. Other days are my fermented grape juice days. You sound like a seasoned veteran, Nathan, in terms of oh, discipline. Well, two, <laughs> two years into it, and I have to stay focused. It's all about, it's all about creating thrilling wines for people. Yeah. And could you tell us a little bit more about the wine tasting? So is it mainly London-centric? Do you go out to places in London and do businesses and friends events, etc.? Yeah, so um, we, we're doing about 250 events a year at the moment. Um, a lot of those are grower tastings where our growers will come over and introduce their wines to members, but we also sell tickets to the public. Um, we do parties, literally, where we'll show off. Uh, we did, just did a Christmas uh, tasting where we showed off a portfolio of Christmas wines for people. But we also do quite nice tastings for um, corporates. Uh, we did a, a brilliant event about women winemakers um, in the city a few weeks ago. And that was fantastic just to see the diversity of winemaking techniques, where these, where the different growers had come from. And it's a great way of doing it. We do a lot of corporate parties and events. And we're actually, this time of year, we're packing a lot of corporate gifts at the moment as well. Really busy time of the year for us, as well as getting ready for Burgundy 2015, which will be launched in January, uh, um, Bordeaux 16, which will be introduced in March, and Brunello 12. So there's all of these new, that's from Tuscany. So all of these new wines that are coming along that we're getting ready to offer people uh, in January. Wow, excellent. It sounds like it's just going from strength to strength as well. So, I mean, you've got a great following on Facebook. If people want to check that out, it's at Honest Grapes, I believe. Um, and the same on Twitter as well. They can find you there, I guess. Um, Nathan, could you just tell me a little bit about the UK industry when it comes to homegrown wines? You mentioned on the website that you don't just go to Spain or France. You have uh, some investment here in the UK as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, our, our philosophy is about having a short list, like, as I said earlier, a restaurant list of great wines. Um, and those come from all over the world. And um, the increase in production of stunning top quality British wines um, is a pleasure to behold. Um, in blind tastings amongst professionals, English sparkling wines are performing very, very well nowadays and even beating um, champagnes and other sparkling wines. Um, in terms of what we offer, it's a limited but absolutely stunning selection. I'd say that English production is going in two directions now. There's the, the big multiples who are now making more in, somewhat more industrial scale wine, but still preserving decent quality. And those are the ones you'll see in the supermarkets. As a small club, what we're focused on are the artisan producers. Um, one of my favourites being uh, um, Nick Hall of Herbert Hall Vineyard in Marden in Kent. You hop on that commuter chain down at Charing Cross, trundle out um, half an hour, um, walk over the little bridge behind a primary school through some fields where you've got marvellous hops and apple orchards and, of course, vineyards at the end of it. Mm. And there they've got the, the famous grapes of Champagne, Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier and Chardonnay and making the most wonderful uh, brute and rosé sparkling wines that we have on our wine list. I'm wow. very, very proud to represent them. Um, and we're one of the only places to get those outside of restaurants in the UK. We're also doing X and um, Marvellous Estate, uh, who are absolutely award-winning uh, rosé and uh, um, blanc de noir, so white, as it were, white of red, uh, um, one made from the Pinot Noir grape. So it's all about selection. Mm. Um, and in a sense, because the pound obviously has has changed against the euro, but not against itself, our prices are suddenly 20% uh, more attractive. So it's a great yeah. chance to go out and buy uh, English sparkling wine. Um, it sounds like... 
uh, not just that wine, but a lot of the other wines I saw on your website. Uh, it's you're dealing with the artisan wines, like you said, but it's these best kept secrets that you're you're uncovering for everyone else to know about. And that's perhaps is that your typical client, the person that comes to you, basically to go, look, give me something different, give me something that no one's really heard of, or give me something to talk about at my next dinner table. There, you know, there's there's loads of cheap plonk around, and the supermarkets do a wonderful job in in selling us alcoholic Ribena and Alco Pops. Um, our wines are, are not elitist. They start from nine or ten pounds. Um, below that, it's all dominated by that duty and packaging. So we're starting from about that level. But the real brains behind our business is my brilliant mate, Tom Harrow. He has one of the best noses in the world and has consistently spotted uh, winemakers producing brilliant wine, sometimes up to five or seven years before the critics. Uh, for example, San Leonardo in Trentino, northeast Italy, discovered about seven years before the critics cottoned on to them. So he is brilliant at spotting those marvellous wines. And basically what we're doing together is using Tom's nose like a truffle hound uh, to, sniff out, <laughs> to sniff out brilliant wines, be they extremely luxurious wines or indeed those uh, Trentino wines from San Leonardo, which go from about... Uh, 13, 14 pounds up to about 50 pounds, or indeed your brilliant 10 pound Bordeaux or Chianti. These wines have got to be, every wine has got to be thrilling, stunning, exciting and orgasmic um, at whatever price point it is. It's got to be something that is going to be an award winner. And, and a great example, we've just started to um, uh, bring on board a new Prosecco uh, called uh, Dal Bello Don Gallo Extra Dry, and it's just been voted the independent's best uh, Prosecco for Christmas. The critics get there after us. It's Tom's nose ferreting around that discovers wow. He sounds like the cooler in a casino. Oh, no, it's not the cooler. It's um, like the Sam Rothstein character that would lay a bet on, and then as soon as he lays a bet on, all the odds in Vegas change. <laughs> exactly. He is, he, is, he is the guy you want to know, whether yeah. it's a £10 bottle or a £1,000 bottle. He's Seriously, he's got the most amazing ability. And I have to say as well, as a wine enthusiast, I've been collecting Burgundy for a long time. When we were out there a couple of weeks ago, um, we were writing our notes on our laptops. We compared them at the end of the day. Um, our tastes are actually pretty compatible. Um, and so we agreed broadly on almost all of the wines. But his understanding, his knowledge and his notes on each of the wines were absolutely brilliant. And that's, that's just the sort of guy you want to have in terms of rooting out those wines for you. He's, my, he's our personal sommelier, basically, and right. every club member's sommelier. Do you ever disagree on anything, Nathan? Yeah, and when, when we disagree, if it's numbers, I win. If it's wine, he wins. <laughs> OK. So, yeah, the business and the science head um, falls on your side of the tennis court. I, I'm the boring guy with the calculator and pencil sharpener. Yeah, but you can get Tim Peake round for a wine tasting. So that's surely yeah, absolutely, a... <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, Nathan, it's been fascinating. I've just got a couple more questions. What's your wine cellar look like? You say that you have members that come around every two or three months, but do you have like a special stash that not even they're allowed to tap into? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, do I really have to, do I really have to broadcast this? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I lived in Germany um, a number of years ago when I was working in technology sales. And I've been an avid collector of German wines. The key people to look out for there are the amazing Clemens Busch uh, from Punderich in the Mosel, the amazing Ludwig and Sandra Noll in uh, Würzburg, uh, Weingut am Stein, and the a complete rock star um, who is um, 
Rainer Schneidmann from just near Stuttgart in Württemberg. So German wines, amazing, and a big Burgundy collection. So that's me. Okay. A bit more more Italian recently since I got to know Tom as well. Right. Um, and just one thing on Swiss wines. I've been spending a lot of time in Switzerland recently, and they've got so the, the tiny, tiniest of vineyards, and they only produce a certain amount of produce, I guess. So they they have it all themselves. But do, does the world know about Swiss wines? I mean, do they are they clued on to how delicious the Swiss wine is? Well, Pete, I won't be inquiring into your tax affairs or banking <laughs> why you spend so much time. Oh, I'll cut this part out. My reasons were rather more modest in that I had an office at CERN, the uh, particle physics laboratory, for about eight years. So oh. I go out in the evening and uh, and taste and taste wines. Then, no, I mean rather like Austria, Switzerland is a wine producer of boutique and stunning wines, um, and they don't really produce enough to export very much. So. Brilliant to buy on holiday, mm. not so easy to buy back in the UK. We have a small Austrian selection uh, from a, a, a marvellous guy, uh, Weingut Hirsch, um, in Langenlois, uh, which is the most beautiful, picturesque place down by the Danube. Swiss wine, rather harder to come by and pretty expensive outside of Switzerland, but some fascinating wines. And, uh, you know, it's not all I see there. Um, there, there are lots of low-lying vineyards uh, producing really stunning wines. Yep, yep, I uh, I entirely agree. And if anyone's going to Lake Lugano, they should ch- definitely check out some of the vineyards around there. The the grottos are fantastic. Right, um, Nathan, thanks for taking the time out. Uh, what's next in the event calendar? I see you've got something down for the 20th of December. Oh, God, so, yeah, loads of events coming up to Christmas. Um, so for our club members um, um, who join the Premier Crew and Grand Cru Class A wine clubs, Um, We're doing our first previews of Burgundy, a secret tasting in Soho um, on the, um, oh gosh, the 10th, I think it is, 12th, sorry, of January. Um, And then um, a collector's introduction to Burgundy um, in in Pall Mall on the evening of the 13th of January. Mm. And then the world all all gets going again. So, uh, yeah, very much into Burgundy in January. And also we have a hectare, the final hectare of production of a famous British winemaker in Bordeaux, a guy called Jonathan Maltus, who's made 100-point wine, uh, wine called Dome. We have his last hectare called La Ponte, and we're just launching the 2016 version of that. And so we'll be doing an introduction to that in January and February for people who want to get into collecting Bordeaux. So that we move from being lots of Christmas stuff now into being uh, people who are starting to collect wine and join our club sort of in January, February, March. Fantastic. Uh, I recommend everyone join the club, as it says in the advert. It's honestgrapes.co.uk. Drop by there and also give them a like on the social. Thanks, Nathan. Uh, Cheers. Enjoy Christmas and uh, drink responsibly, but drink (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, mate. Take care of yourself. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye for now. Nathan Hill there from Honest Grapes. And now a word from our sponsor on Pinot Noir. It's a hard grape to grow, as you know, right? It's it's thin skin, temperamental, ripens early. It's, you know, it's not a survivor like Cabernet, which can just grow anywhere and uh, thrive even when it's neglected. No, Pinot needs constant care and attention. You know, and in fact, it can only grow in these really specific little tucked away corners of the world. And, and only the most patient and nurturing of growers 
can do it, really. Only somebody who really takes the time to understand Pino's potential can then coax it into its fullest expression. Then, I mean, oh, its flavors, they're just the most haunting and brilliant and thrilling and subtle and ancient on the planet. Paul Giamatti there, talking about his love affair with Pinot Noir from the film Sideways. Moving swiftly on, we're going to talk to Raul Diaz, wine sommelier from WSET and presenter of Wine for Sunday Brunch. On the podcast now, I'd like to introduce Raul Diaz, sommelier and WSET educator, also the wine presenter for Sunday Brunch, Raul Welcome to the podcast. If you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, please, and what is WSET? Yeah, I've been working for 15 years as a sommelier. I, I lead a, a, a really good wine school based in West London, Chelsea, uh, and I have this really good gig for Sunday Branch and Channel 4 uh, on Sunday. So I do lots of teaching, consultancy and events, and when I'm teaching, I basically I use all the material from the WSET, the Wine and Spirit Education Trust, which is the the best school in the world to learn about wine. So I'm, a, I'm basically, I'm a provider of the courses so I can teach the courses, I can use the material and the students can go through the sort of the journey of learning uh, with a very systematic approach, very easy, very simple and straightforward. So that's what I do. And how did you get into it yourself? It was very, very, you know, very simple because when I, I grew up in Chile, so I'm from a wine country, which makes things a little bit easier than for other people. And when I started to get serious with wine, I just took the WCT course and I started to move up and then obviously other experiences and then I became a WCT educator and things were very easy. So after that, things came quite easy. So if I'm to enroll on a course with WSET, what am I likely to expect? The good thing about the courses, as I said to you, I'm a provider of the courses, so I invite lots of people to come to my school, obviously. Um, or to the WCT main school. Um, the good thing about these courses is that they're open to anyone who wants to learn about wine. So this is not a, a, a trade exclusive sort of like if you want to be a sommelier or if you work selling wine. No, this, the good thing about the WCT courses is that they're very open, which means, yes, if you work in a trade, if you work in a restaurant, amazing qualification. But if you're a wine lover, if you're someone that really wants to learn a little bit more, if you want to start collecting wine, if you want to show off, I don't know, you know, whatever you want to do, it's a very open course that anyone can take. Uh, and, and as I said to you, because they have this systematic approach to learning, anyone can do it, basically. You don't need to come from France or Italy or Chile or Argentina. This is a very democratic school, and that's why I'm, I'm very pleased to be able to teach these courses in my school. I see. How long are the courses, Raoul, and what qualifications could I get at the end of it? Yeah, it's all depending. Obviously, uh, it's very popular, uh, uh, the first three levels of WCT, the level one, two, and three, they're very, very popular. Then you have other levels, but also requires a, a more, I would say, serious commitment to it. But if you have, for example, the level one takes one day, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying based on what I offer in my school, one day, the level two takes three days, from like 10 to four, six hours. Uh, and then the level three takes five days. Uh, 
So this is more or less also the school follows up a little bit something similar. Obviously, in the main school, they have more options. Uh, but yeah, amazing wines. I would definitely recommend to take any of the courses. I really like the level two particularly, but because if you don't know much about wine, it's such a good course. It's only three days. You really love the wine and learn lots. So, so it's a, it's a, I think, it's, as I said to you, it's a very simple and direct way to go into wine because this is not wine poetry. It's, it's not like, you know, like blah, blah, blah about wine. You go straight to a systematic approach to learn and also to taste. So it's, it's a very simple thing, what I'm trying to say. If you don't know much about wine yourself, but if you can follow a system, then the, what I like to obviously to, to show off a little bit from my own school is that I learned lots of things from the past. I've been working 15 years with wine. I was a head sommelier with a, for a celebrity chef in a Michelin star restaurant, lots of things. I'm not going to bore you with the CV. But I learned a lot about that I wanted to offer a very simple, fun and approachable way to learn. So I, you know, I, I found the diversity. I learned my craft, I became an educator, but in my school, it's a very, I would say, modern approach to it, non-traditional. So the learning experience for me is very important. Also the quality of the wines. I, I select very expensive samples, which makes a big difference in my own school. And I try to, you know, sort of all the details, you know, when you want to learn. So we try to offer something very different from the rest. Raul, you hear a lot of misconceptions with wine, and a lot of myths like red wine with the meat, white wine with the fish. Are there certain rules that should strictly be adhered to, and are there any myths that need to be debunked? Yeah, definitely. I would love to talk about probably the three most common, uh, <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't call them mistakes, but, you know, it's just very misleading. First of all, uh, there's no ro uh, rules or laws, as you said before. Forget about that. Today, when you talk about food and wine matching, it's only about what you like and some little guidelines, some suggestions to see this could do well with this because of this profile of the wine. But forget about the, the, the laws and the rules of 1950s. That's gone. It's all gone. Whatever you like is how you're going to do it. And if you enjoy it, you know, you should be served wine or you should get wine in that way. Second, you know is the fact that the dryness of the wine. Lots of people have problems. And, and we were doing some, a really cool radio program before this. Um, we were talking with the guys there in a live show. And we were talking to lots of people, they have problems with the dryness of the wine. So the, I think it's very important to educate and to, to pass around the message that the majority of the, of the normal wine that you drink, the still wine, is going to be a dry wine. The difference will be the levels of fruit content. So lots of people, they think they say, oh, I don't want a sweet wine. And don't worry, we have lots of dry wines that can have lots of fruit content, but they're not considered sweet wine. So that's the second big thing. And the third misconception that I'm always behind this one is that delicious wine can be found in all the price brackets. Oh, that's interesting. Because most of us, when we don't know about this, oh, get me the expensive bottle, get me the expensive bottle, I want to show off, oh yeah, if it's expensive, it's good. No, my friend, no, no, no. You can have delicious wine all the way from a very humble price to a very premium price, you can find good wines. What's the difference? Education. What's the difference? Go to a little course, take the course, go to an event, because then you will know and, and you're going to pay 
you know, the money that you want for a certain quality. And you can, as I said to you, you can have an amazing wine for eight pounds retail and also incredible for 50. But not all, all the 50 pound bottles of wine, they're not going to be all amazing. I can guarantee you that. And with regards to the uh, the event set you mentioned, uh, these are all London centric. We can find these in and around London. Yeah, so basically, if, if, if I can uh, give you some info in 20 seconds. So my company is winetraining.co.uk. We have a killer domain. As you can see, it's very easy. Winetraining.co.uk. My, uh, my Twitter company is the same, winetraining. And my Twitter uh, account is RaulDiaz39. So I normally post all the events, all the WCT courses that I'm doing in advance, all the promotions, all the... The wine clubs that I'm doing a lot uh, in London for different clients, all the wine events that I'm doing. So if you follow me, um, you will get access to all the course information and all the other events that are more informal events as an introduction to probably a more formal course. Well, throw out your Twitter handle one more time. Make sure our listeners get it, will you please? Yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, uh, Raul Diaz 39, so R-A-U-L-D-I-A-Z 39. That's my, my personal one. And the company one is Wine Training, at Wine Training, and the company website is winetraining.co.uk. Well, I imagine every other phone call you get must be about what wine to buy for a date or a business function. How many times do you look at your phone and it's a text about wine? Also, what does your wine cellar look like? Okay, so first question. I have quite a lot of friends that call me, actually. <laughs> Sometimes it's embarrassing. <laughs> and also I got a lot of phone calls from ex-students. Uh, which I don't mind. I'm always happy to answer the phone uh, if they're preparing something special for, you know, the girlfriend, the boyfriend, or a little thing with the family, or sometimes like a bigger thing. They say, oh, you can always call me. If it's five minutes, uh, you know, it's going to be cool. So I, I'm on the phone quite regularly. Um, and also with my friends. That's 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 something that I do uh, commonly. Uh, what was the second question? Remind me. And um, what's your wine cellar look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, I, I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you. When I was a little boy with wine, when I was a kid, I used to have lots of stuff, you know, and, and kind of really, oh, I want to keep this, these burgundies, these Bordeaux. And I'm, I'm an older guy, so now I, I keep very, very few. I only have a cellar with 60 bottles. Uh, if you were with wine, 60 bottles is not a lot. Eh? So, um, and I just kept very fresh wine. I, I definitely drop all the aging dreams of keeping wines. I just have everything really fresh. I have my Rieslings from Germany and my nice Italians and Spanish wines. And I don't keep wine longer than six months, to be honest. Because I keep drinking them and I, because I know what to buy. So I never, I never buy a wine and keep it for years because for me it makes no sense. I imagine also you must have one bottle of wine stashed away for that special occasion. A bit like that guy in the film Sideways. He had that bottle for that special occasion. I think he cracked it open at a McDonald's and drank it out of a plastic beaker or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a Cheval Blanc, which is a very good, very good Bordeaux wine. Um, yeah, I had it, but I drank it because my life changed and you need to move on. Yeah, you need to do lots of things. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, with experience, um, I, I, I was saving a couple of bottles, but I drank, drank them all. And then honestly, now I'm like, you know, just drinking very fresh, very easy drinking wines. 
And if we come across a, a big bottle, I would just buy it and have it with my friends or, you know, like just enjoy it. But I, I kind of, um, I stop the, the aging, to be honest, because today with wine, it's so easy. You can buy it anywhere. And the main problem that I probably can pass on to the listeners of the postcard is that if you don't have the right conditions to keep wine, don't keep wine. If you don't have a temperature control room, away from the light, away from vibration, makes no sense to buy wine and keep it at home because you don't have the right conditions. Raul Diaz there. Thank you, Raul. God, I love talking about wine. What do you love, Doctor? A nice big wine with excellent heft. Who doesn't? We're going to finish off now by talking to Christian Rez, who runs the Wine Bank, a wine club, an exclusive wine club over in Germany, hopefully coming to the UK soon. He also looks after the vineyard for Balthazar Rez. So stay tuned for this one. This is Christian Rez. Okay, so I'd like to introduce Christian Rez on the podcast. Christian is the founder of the Wine Bank, a very exclusive club that's going on over in Germany right now, soon to be coming to the UK. He's calling me from Hattenheim. That's Hattenheim in Germany, right, Christian? Christian. Very very good. Hi, yes, Hattenheim in Germany. Christian, if you will, tell us a little bit about yourself, the Wine Bank, the club, the Wine Bank, and also uh, the Balfasar Rez, a vineyard, I believe, that's been in your family for about five generations. Um, yes, I mean, what I, I I spend a lot of time on, obviously, in my daily business is the own wine estate, which uh, uh, which has been founded already in 1870 by uh, by Balthazar, who was um, the, f- the first guy in our rest family to to invest into vineyards. And uh, I'm number five since then. So it's uh, it's been four more generations after Balthazar. And I'm the one who takes care of the wine estate now. Um, so that's certainly one of the uh, things that I. Uh, a lot of passion for and uh, which I spend a lot of time and one of the other projects of the last few years has been the wine bank which has created a lot of attention um, especially in Germany but starts uh, to to create a lot of attention in other uh, countries as well now awesome Christian I'm really excited about the wine bank tell us about the club please tell us about its exclusivity and how you founded it well first of all the wine bank is a um, uh, let's call it a, a wine storage um, a solution. That's the, the basic idea. However, it's uh, at the end, it's much more than this um, uh, because, of course, people have the, uh, the the chance to store their wine in lockers, which we which we rent in lockers of different sizes. Um, but I th- I think the, the the great thing that that has turned this into a, a great success is actually the fact that people have permanent access 24 hours to their compartment. Uh, with a chip card and actually can enjoy the whole facility, which is always, and that's a very important part of Wine Bank, of the Wine Bank concept, have access to a, in terms of architecture, a fantastic um, uh, place or, or room or cellar. In, 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 uh, so far, it has been um, uh, especially historic wine cellars that have, has, have been turned into, um, uh, into wine banks. So people have actually a place to to enjoy the wines that they have stored in, in these places, to, to enjoy these uh, these wines with other people, to meet other people. It's actually like a, let's call it like a semi-private uh, wine bar or social or business club uh, idea around uh, around wine storage. And what does it take to get something like this off the ground? Is it a, does it start as a well-kept secret, a couple of friends in the know? How do you bring it from concept to the marketplace? Well, um, if, if we look at, at the very first wine bank, which I opened in 2009, um, what I did was actually, well, a sort of keeping it secret because I, I avoided to, 
to let anybody know about the project during the whole construction um, uh, uh, during the whole construction process. Um, and um, um, the idea behind that was was actually to open the wine bank after it has been uh, finished with like a, a big bank to the to the public. And uh, I introduced the whole wine bank idea with uh, a big party to um, uh, for for like uh, 300 people, which I had invited, which were of course uh, carefully selected, being potentially wine bankers or owners of a of a of a locker, but at the same time, you know, media. Uh, 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 people that I know would would talk about this um, uh, in the region, um, and um, and uh, yeah, so I did this great party. I invited people they didn't even know to to what they were invited for actually, and um, and, and, and that and that whole whole thing made this uh, well the idea start right away because when those uh, those people got home, you know, on that weekend, everybody the whole region was talking about it. I had a, a media press conference the day before or the afternoon before the party, so this was at the same time next day in the newspapers. So this was the big bang that I was looking for, and which was actually which was actually there, and then it started right away. I see. Yeah, uh, and wine bank is no longer a well kept secret in Germany, is it, Christian? It's literally ripping through the country like a hurricane, like hurricane wine bank. How many places are you stationed in? Uh, well, we are right now at seven seven places altogether. Um, you, you know, it became very obvious to me after my own one, the first one got uh, quite, uh, got a very good success, even commercially a very good success quite uh, quite quickly. For me, it was obvious that, that I should not stop by, by just running one. You know, I, I just saw that there is a, a huge potential. And that's how we turned this into a franchise concept, which which now is a is is on the market for like two years, and uh, so all the, the the new upcoming wine banks are franchise wine banks um, that we do with people we trust in different cities um, uh, of mainly Germany, but uh, of Switzerland and Austria as well now, and uh, we are we have seven um, uh, which are which are operational by now, um, and some more to come next year. So it won't stop at this level. So it's continuing. It's continuing, and you're not going to stop anytime soon it's coming to london yeah well um uh, actually uh, london would be perfect and we we would love to be there obviously and actually we are already talking to people uh, about it so so it might happen it might happen i hope it does happen i hope you can bring the wine bank over to london it's winebank.de for anyone that wants to check that out christian also if you, i asked this question to real diaz earlier on another wine sommelier i asked him why do we impose these strict rules on ourselves like the white wine with a fish red wine with meat etc it, it seemed like we're censoring ourselves when it comes to exploring the different tastes of wine well you already uh, mentioned some some very good ones you know the the, the meat red wine thing is uh, something um, um that we uh we don't like too much, actually. We promote um, to do it uh, the other way around, actually, um, because what honestly works great with, um, especially beef that has been, or pork actually as well, that has been made on on barbecue, so it has some some flavors from um, from the fire or from the from the smoke. This is truly fantastic with um, aged uh, uh, sweet rieslings. So this is a, a fantastic combination, which which many people would not think about. Um, but but if I, I I show them, you know, I'm doing a lot of barbecues at my place in summer, uh, and I'm always convincing people by by showing them this uh, this combination. So that's one of the myths that I I would like to uh, to get rid of. Get rid of sure, Christian. Tell me, I'm curious, what does your wine cellar look like? Well, we have. Um, 
Well, my cellar, obviously I have my compartment in my own wine bank. I have uh, my little wine fridge uh, at home and I have the, the, the private cellar of the family, which belongs to the whole family in, uh, um, in one of the, tr the old buildings of the family. Um, so this holds the treasures of and the history of Baltasares, actually, of my own wine estate, of, of our own wine estate. And there we have vintages going down to 1911. So that's the... Wow. Uh, that's really the heritage of, um, um, of of our family, which is in this in this private cellar. Um, and then at my home, you know, I have a, a lot of of of, uh, of wines from other wine producers, uh, mainly German. I'm very interested, obviously, to see you know how the competitors do and what they do. And uh, so so I drink uh, at home a lot of wines from from other German wine producers. Actually, that's that's what I'm very interested in. Excellent. And Christian, tell us a little bit about Balfour Reds. How hands-on are you uh, with what goes on down there? Yes, of course. I mean, this is, um, you know, especially on those wines which are blended. You know, some wines are not blended. So, so uh, you know, in Germany, it's a tradition to to actually vinify by vineyard, a little bit like you find in Burgundy, you know, where you have a, a tank or a barrel per Per, per vineyard you keep everything separate so so that's not about blending so you just you know you take what nature gives you and um, obviously for the very good vineyards in, in, in uh, usually it's it's excellent uh, when it comes to blending and that's for the more basic wines um, uh, and there we have some some very important blend that's a that's a, a long process because there we want to be sure to to do the right blending because there we we're actually blending different for example different rieslings from different uh, villages or different uh, vineyards and that's a process that normally works uh, in a way that my winemaker, my uh, my chief winemaker, actually presents his first ideas, his selection of let's say uh, four, five, six, seven options, uh, which we then um, taste together, uh, including uh, including my father, including myself, uh, including uh, some of the other winemakers, uh, and then we try to come up with a decision and. Um, and, and when we think we have taken a good decision, then we, we, we check it the next day blind again to, to just check if we if we end up with the same decision, you know, to, to really uh, find out if it's a, a true, a truly true decision. Um, and uh, so that's how it works, actually. So that's a process that that, that usually goes over several, uh, several days. And it's available in the UK, right? Yes, yes. But the last ones are available in, uh, in Great Britain. Uh, we are working with one of the, the top five uh, importers and, uh, and distributors. That's uh, Berkman, Berkman Wine Centers. Christian Rez there. I'd like to thank Christian. I'd like to thank all my guests this week. I'd like to thank Raul Diaz from WSET and the Channel 4 show Sunday Brunch. I'd like to thank Nathan Hill from Honest Grapes. I'd like to thank Dr. Fraser Crane and his brother Niles, who was in the background. Uh, what did you think of the show, Niles? It was jammy. Plummy, dense, and chewy. Thank you, Niles. And thank you, the listener, for joining us. That might actually not just wrap it up for this episode, it might wrap it up for this year. So perhaps we'll speak to you again in the new year. Like I said, we do love it when you leave us the reviews in iTunes and you share it on the Facebook and the Twitter, etc. It does mean a lot to us. It supports us and it keeps me in a job. Hopefully, I will have a job in the new year. Until then, take care, everyone.